Admittedly blindly, that's me. And as many, I'm sure many of you are as tired as I am this morning because we stayed up to watch the royal wedding. I was so curious what kind of hats would be at the wedding and who made the dress and most importantly, who would walk her down the aisle. So I just stayed up all night in anticipation to find out these things, as I'm sure you did as well. It was awesome. And we also want to welcome back Angela Nesbitt, who's back with us, was in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. Glad to have you back. Pete's especially glad to have her back, I'm sure. And also, after our church service today, we'll have two people baptized into Christ. That's going to be really awesome. Bienvenidos es mi familia. Uh, Alex and Jacqueline Castillo this morning will be baptized. That's going to be awesome. And it gives all us a chance to work on our Espanol, see? Yeah, yeah, see. And this morning we're going to continue our study of the book of Acts, which is beginning in Acts chapter 3 this morning. And it's, it's a great portrait of the early church and what the Holy Spirit produced in the early church and what it was always trying to return to. It was the honeymoon phase of the church and we're called to imitate what the Spirit produced in that. So we'll pray and then we'll read Acts chapter 3 together this morning and talk about three points from that passage. God, we are grateful to be able to worship you this morning in spirit and truth, and we're excited to see Alex and Jackie baptized. That's phenomenal, God, and how you've orchestrated the time and places for them. And we're also grateful to read your scriptures and pray that your spirit really brings enlightenment to our minds and hearts so that we understand what you intended to say to the church and to us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin reading in chapter 3 of Acts, and we'll read this whole chapter, starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So that was the, the law in Judaism. They would still go to the temple at certain times. It's 3 in the afternoon. So in the early church, they still kind of stuck to Judaism and at some point, they kind of separated from it all, but they're still adhering to the principles and the regulations because that's the time of prayer. They still connect. That's where the crowds are, and they want to be where the crowds are. In verse 2, now a man who was lame from birth, lame in the sense that he couldn't walk, not lame as like, dude, you're so lame. Just, just to clarify, okay, because you, know, you don't want to be confused there. He was lame from birth, being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and I believe this is what caught his attention, because if, if you've encountered beggars even today, there's kind of an initial eye contact, but there's a, a reaction to kind of look away, and even if, when you give money, you don't, it's kind of hard. And so I think when he, when he says, look, look at us in verse 4, the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He thought, this is the big one. This is the big paycheck. Look at me. I'm gonna get, and, he, and he's expecting a bit of coin. Bitcoin, this is where it all came from. Bitcoin, this is where it started. But he, he's expecting something big. He's excited. And then in verse 6, he's probably disappointed initially. When Peter says, bro, I've been to ministry. I haven't got any money. <laughs> Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Luke is our author. He's a doctor. We'll talk about this. This is significant to Luke. He knows something has medically happened. This isn't a fraud. This is a guy that's been like this since birth, and automatically his feet and ankles are strong. In verse 8, he jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Now, my friends and I used to think, surely this was the first white guy to really get the gospel. And what is that? Because we all know, or at least many of us know, that white men can't jump. That's a common thing, right? So here's, here's why we thought this had to be the first white guy. Because in verse 8, he jumps to his feet. And he's seen walking, jumping, and praising God. That's what he's doing, right? That's what the Bible says. But what do the people actually see in verse 9? They just see him walking and praising God. Why? Because they can't really see. White men can't jump. They couldn't see it anyway. <laughs> We're convinced this is the white man that couldn't jump. Thank you, John. Back to the text. Verse 11. Back to the text. <laughs> You get it, right? He's like, oh, he's not jumping, he's just walking. <laughs> but I can't jump, by the way. I do not follow that rule. I used to be able to dunk a basketball. That was about 15 years ago, maybe. It's on Facebook. You can check it out. Verse 11. Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You hand him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. That's such an irony there. This is the author of life, and they put him to death, and a murderer was released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all of the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Verse 19, repent, then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing, refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah whom has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. When Jesus comes back, everything will be finally restored, as he has promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. 
When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This ends the second sermon in the early church. Chapters 3 through 5 all happen in Jerusalem. And that's significant because Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says you're going to start in Jerusalem, then you're going to go to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. They're still in Jerusalem and they're mainly in the temple where Peter's preaching. And then it'll start to spill over into the homes. And once this reaction happens, the Sanhedrin will catch wind and they'll prosecute and persecute the disciples. And that will be a foreshadowing of what's to come to the early church. And this is Peter's second sermon, and, and, it's, and it's fascinating because the beginning of Acts says, Luke, the gospel, reported everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And Acts is a continuation of that, where the Holy Spirit, through his church, and through Peter and the apostles, continue to do the work Jesus does. And this is reminiscent of Jesus. When Jesus walks around, interacts with people, he heals people, everybody comes running because they're amazed. Exact same thing that happens here. Peter walks to the temple, heals somebody, a crowd is drawn, and Peter starts preaching. Three points from this text that we'll learn this morning. Point number one, God's sovereign plan. Point number two, outsiders become insiders. And lastly, repentance and refreshment. In this, in this sermon, because Peter devotes a lot of time to trying to get his crowd to understand God was sovereign enough to plan this long ago. And in, in, in this text, we get this idea of God's sovereignty, first of all, from the man, and then second of all, from Peter's sermon. In Acts chapter 3, verse 2, it says, how often did this guy come? Verse 2, is lame from birth, be carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day. How old is this guy? Chapter 4, verse 22 says he's over 40 years old. So for over 40 years, he's unable to walk. And his friends or his mate or somebody, family, somebody brings him to the temple for a long time. And he sits outside and he's begging every single day. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because he had been there for a long time, okay? Now, during the ministry of Jesus... Does Jesus ever go to the temple? Yes, he does. The gospel's mentioned once, perhaps even twice. And you're familiar with the story, right? He comes to the temple, finds some traders trading, makes a whip, drives them out, right? That's the scene at the temple. But what happens right after that? The very next verse in Matthew's gospel says this. After Jesus goes to the temple, kicks everybody out, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Now, why is that important? It's, it's very likely, it stands to reason, this guy would have either heard about this, because when Jesus healed people, it started circulating. Rumors start going, and there's a buzz. And so when Jesus comes to the temple, people, people start to bring him people that are lame, and he heals them, and it starts to create this stir. But this guy doesn't get healed. And for sure, he was there at some point. He was there at the temple during the ministry of Jesus. It's likely he heard about that. And it's possible he even thought, I missed the moment. I missed the moment. Here, here, I'm, why didn't Jesus, why didn't my friends get me to him? Why didn't he interact with me? He might have even saw Jesus at the temple. 
But in God's sovereign plan, he was healed at the exact right time. Which we'll talk about. Also, the, the idea of sovereignty comes up in verse 17 and 18 in Peter's lesson. Fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets. And then he talks about the Messiah suffering. What is Peter saying? He, he's saying, you guys acted in ignorance. But God superseded that because he talked about this long ago. You're still responsible. But God was sovereign enough to orchestrate this a long time before he even came on the scene. His prophets have been talking about this. This is the moment. And then he talks about the cross. Where he says, that seemed to be a moment where you killed the author of life. But God in his sovereignty uses that tragic event and resurrects him. And so even in this situation that seems bad, God's sovereignty trumps it all. Now, if you look at these events in their isolation, if you look at this man who was at the temple during the ministry of Jesus and he misses out, you might think, man, that stinks. He missed the ship. He missed his moment. He could be upset. Or if you look at the cross in isolation and you say, man, that's what the Jews or some people believe the author of life and they killed him. What a tragedy. If you look at those in isolation, they don't make much sense. They, all, they, they almost seem sad. But if you look at them in the bigger picture, then you start to see God's sovereignty. For instance, this is olive oil. If you eat or taste this in isolation from other ingredients, probably not the best thing to do. Pete seems like he's tried it. He says it's gross. He can verify. He sounds like he's drank some. <laughs> If you eat that or taste that by yourself, or if you were to get just some raw, uncooked pasta, start to nibble on it, probably not the best tasting. Pete can verify to that as well. Or if you take a stick of butter, shove it in your mouth, start to let it melt, you know, you salivate, you get a real nice taste of the butter, or just chuck some hot chili peppers in your mouth. If you take each of these ingredients in their isolation, it doesn't really provide for a tasty meal. However, when you combine them all, and you see them all together, and then you experience them combined and together, it actually does become a tasty meal if you know how to cook. That, that's not my ingredients, by the way. That's bread and peanut butter for me. That's, that's what it would be. But it's sim similar in a, in a spiritual circumstance. If you look at each individual event in your life, and you only zero in on that, and you only are narrow-minded, you miss out on the sovereign plan of God. Now, how does this become present in our lives? I think, you know, think about this guy. If he would have just focused on the moment during Jesus' ministry, he could have been bitter or cynical. If he, but, but instead, God healed him at the exact right time. So I think there's an issue of timing in our lives that if we believe God is sovereign, we'll be peace and secure. If we wrestle with God's sovereignty, we'll be restless. I think there are many times where we might be tempted to think, I missed my opportunity in life. I didn't get the job. I got passed over. I didn't get the relationship I thought I was supposed to did. I didn't, I didn't get the role I was supposed to get. I didn't get this. I didn't get that. It missed out. If you only look at those events in, your, in an isolated sense... That may seem true. But if you zoom out and you have help and you have people helping you say, well, let's put all these events together and look at how God sovereignly is orchestrating you and preparing you for something even greater, 
Then it creates a sense of security. I look back at my life and I think, man, I didn't really pursue the path I wanted to after high school. I dropped out of high school, went back, kind of ruined my first shot at going to university. That's why I joined the Marines. And I think, man, if, if I just look at that event in isolation, say, man, I missed my moment to go to university and study music. But later on, it was the exact moment of joining the Marines that there was someone that reached out to me. And I understood the gospel. I was an intern from 2001 to 2004 in the ministry at university. That's where I first met Megan. And after that, I thought, I'll probably go into the full-time ministry. I didn't. No one even asked me. <laughs> it was like, I was just kind of like, yeah, it, no, not even a discussion, not even a conversation. So that, that shows you how effective my ministry was at university. So I said, oh, well, I'm going to go to teach. I'm going to at least go on a mission plan. I went to my hometown and joined the mission team there. It was awesome. And I think, but if I look at that event in its isolation, I think, man, really wasn't cut out for that. But if I take a step back and let's say, praise God. That I didn't go into the full-time ministry then. Because, you know, who knows what I would have done or said or however that works. And, you know, I think there was a time where me and I wanted to lead a church. And we interviewed. And and it it was moving forward. It was overseas. And and we got the green line. We said, we're going to move there and lead this church. But then at some point, it all collapsed. And it didn't work out. I think, man, oh, we missed our shot at, at, at leading a church overseas. But that actually opened the door for us to come to New Zealand. And praise God for that. Now, now the, now the point is, you all have these little spots and moments in your life, maybe presently, maybe in the past, or if not, they'll come up in the future. And you'll think, man, if I, if I only had done this, and if I, but that negates God's sovereignty. He's behind the scenes, even when your timing isn't perfect, orchestrating everything to be awesome. Or maybe you've had defeats in your life. The cross surely didn't turn out the way the Israelites thought it would turn out. They thought the Messiah would conquer and overthrow the Romans. But that's not what happened. He ended up dying on a cross. And so you can imagine the disillusionment, the disappointment, and the defeat in the mind of the Jews. That was the guy we thought would overthrow it all. And now they're disillusioned and disappointed. And and, and maybe this is personal or maybe you have expectations for you. But we all are going to experience disillusionment or disappointment, or defeat in our lives. And if we look at those in their isolated sense, there, there's a tendency to say, oh, well, see, that didn't work out the way I thought it would. Yeah. That's not what was supposed to happen. This is how our Bible talk is, should function, but it's not happening like that. Let me grow critical. Let me grow cynical. This is what our church is supposed to be doing. It's not happening. Let me get frustrated, or let me get apathetic. In other words... I'm not sure God is sovereign enough to trump what's going on here. Come on. If you boil it down, that's kind of at the root of it. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have opinions and, and, and things, because we, we always need to refine and grow, right? That, that's for surely true. But at the end of the day, you say him and you think, hey, God is sovereign. This guy got healed at the exact moment for it to draw crowds. The cross was at the exact moment for Jesus to be resurrected. God is sovereign, and we, need, and we need to believe that. And if other people don't, we need to help them put the pieces together to see the bigger picture and not the isolated events. We need people to help us see God's sovereign plan. Amen? Point number two, outsiders are now insiders. This is a theme throughout the book of Acts, throughout the Bible. 
that those on the outside get access to the inside. Here, it's the lame man who's been like that from birth. Later on in the book of Acts, it's the Ethiopian eunuch. At some point, it's Lydia, a woman, an outsider in this culture. Later on, it's Cornelius, the Gentile, an outsider in this culture. Now, this guy is lame. And according to the law in Leviticus 17, this guy is not allowed to come in side the temple. He's on the outside. That's why he's outside begging. And so in Leviticus 17, no man who has any defect may come near, no man who is blind or lame. That's this guy. That's why he's not, that's why they're not allowed to carry him inside the temple. Disfigured or disformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand, and on and on and on. So here he is. He is a literal outsider. He can't come in the temple. But there is this prophet named Isaiah that says at some point God's going to blow open the doors and let everybody in and it's going to be glorious and that's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 35 and interestingly enough it's a reference to a lame man in Isaiah 35 Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel he's saying when G, when the Messiah comes when the person we all hope for comes he's going to open the doors for everybody then the lame will leap like a deer so you knew if, if a Jew knew his Bible and they see this and they see this guy healed and they see him walking and jumping, there, there's, a, there's a connection of the door is now opening. Those on the outside are able to come in. Those who were rejected in the Old Testament as unworthy are found worthy through the name of Jesus. Outsiders become Insiders. There is a ethicist, his name is Peter Singer, and he has this idea called the moral circle. And basically he says there's, there's this moral circle that we all have, and inside of that circle is our family and our friends, our BFFs, you know, kind of people that we're really close to. And everybody else is pretty much a stranger. And so what happens is inside of this circle, like for instance, my family, I, you know, I extend kindness to my family because they're inside of this circle. And then I have to have to make a deliberate choice to extend kindness to people outside of that circle. And that, that's the whole root of the word kindness. Kin, your kin folk. It's natural to extend kindness to people who are kin to you. But beyond that, it becomes, it becomes a kind of um, attention. And, you know, they're, they're not like us, so they're on the margin. They're outsiders. And we normally and naturally don't welcome strangers. Stranger danger. That's kind of our mentality. And, you know, for instance, when I see guys like this, I see, you know, the guy on the left, I think, at first appearance, he's okay. But if you take off that hat, there's a bald head under there. Stranger danger. On the guy on the far top right, you think there's a big smile on the face, but don't be fooled. <laughs> Stranger danger. On the bottom left, I mean, that's as clear as day. Bow tie, start running. <laughs> Stranger danger. Bottom right, those guys look okay, but don't be fooled. Those guys are trouble. <laughs> Stranger danger. Those guys are outside the circle. Now, that's all comical, but we all really think like that at some level. We all have this tight little circle. And if you don't think it's true, go to a restaurant where one of your friends works. 
as a server. And if the restaurant's busy and that person is stressed and they come to your table and you know that person, you say, no worries, don't worry about it. I, we, see it's, we see it's stressful. We see it's big. We see things are going on. No worries. You're inside my circle. But go to the same restaurant where you have no friends working there and you have someone that you don't know serving your table and the restaurant is busy and you're not getting your food when you wanted to and you're not saying, oh, no worries, no worries. Why are all these people standing around here? I see all these different people. Why? There's an attitude that starts to develop because you don't know that person. And so we, whether you believe this or not, this is true. We all do this, you know. And, but in, in the gospel message and here in beginning in this, in this text and throughout the book of Acts, the doors will blow open. Outsiders become insiders. And so God starts to extend his kindness, his mercy, and his grace to everyone. Even these guys on the perimeter of this slide. And you know that's when outsiders are becoming insiders. And, and how does this look? I think, well, in our normal everyday life, we, at least I do, I size up people kind of automatically. I get on the train and I see this guy looks like me. This guy, talk, I, that's just kind of a natural train habit we all kind of have. I think to really embrace the gospel is to just see people to see people to start interacting with people and I'm not saying you have to have a spiritual conversation with them I'm just saying how's it going man nice day today conversation keeps going who knows where that might lead who knows what the spirit might do who knows but I believe that it just starts with seeing people as people and interacting with people Bringing outsiders in. That's what God did with you. That's what he did with me. That's what he does with us. Whether you're national or labor or rich or poor or white or black, citizen, refugee, whatever. We're all people. And God brings outsiders in. He breaks the mold. And I think even in our fellowship, we all kind of naturally gravitate toward people. And sometimes we have kind of superficial fellowship with each other. But to break the mold, it means we, we need to grow past that until we see them as our brothers and sisters. And we really start to learn how to embrace that. And then bring the outsiders in just like God did for us. Amen. Third and last, repentance and refreshment. Peter, of course, mentions repentance in his first sermon. We're all familiar with that phrase. Acts 2, 36, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Here again, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And during his sermon, he's really trying to convince this this audience that Jesus was the guy God was talking about all along. And you killed him. And he says it at least several different ways. You killed the author of life. You disowned the Holy One. You asked that a murderer be released. And, And he tells them, you blew it. He was. He was the real deal. But look, God said this would happen. Moses talked about it. All of the prophets talked about it. Repent. I know you acted in ignorance. Now, ignorance doesn't mean you're not guilty. I was in Sydney and I parked the wrong way in a car park and I got a ticket for it because I was ignorant of the law there and I pleaded ignorance. I wrote an appeal and said, I didn't know. I'm from New Zealand via America. I don't know anything. And can I be released from this? No. 
I was still guilty, even though I didn't know the law. And so, but, but what, why Peter says, I, I understand you acted in ignorance, verse 17. It's, but they, they, they had some kind of understanding, but they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They were ignorant of the fact he was the real deal. I know you acted in ignorance, but guess what? There's good news. Repent! Repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The word wiped out literally means obliterated. I know, I know what you did was wrong, but look, that you can have all your sins, even the ones you committed in ignorance, obliterated. And then times of refreshing may come from the Lord, like we'll see this afternoon. Sins obliterated. Refreshing comes from the Lord. And so what's Peter saying? He's saying, look, there's, here's a free pardon, guys. Repent and turn to God and be, and be refreshed from the Lord. Acknowledge your error. Say you were wrong. Turn to God and be refreshed. I think it's a picture of this man in this passage who has been lame from birth, his ankles and his legs are weak. But in verse 7, Luke uses this medical word that doctors would use where he became whole, sound, firm. And he stands up and he's completely rejuvenated. Imagine being unable to walk for 40 years. And just simply by the name of Jesus... Because that's all Peter says. In the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. He helps him. And he's walking around. He's jumping. Man, refreshed. Imagine that feeling. Able to walk around and jump around. And he's praising God. And, and, and Peter wants this, this audience to know, but God wants us to know, hey, hey, even if you act in ignorance, you can still repent. Even if you don't have all of the facts, but you're still living your life the way you want to, God says you can still repent. Even, even the Apostle Paul, when he talks about his life before conversion, says God was merciful because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And that applies to, to every one of us, but I think it applies a lot to people growing up in the church, because you hear a lot of facts about Jesus, you hear a lot of stories about Jesus, you see David and Goliath, and that's awesome what's going on in the kids' ministry, but you hear all this information, and you hear all this information, but at some point, you probably decide to accept or reject Jesus. And, and, and you, can, you can be religious, but you can be ignorant of Jesus, and that's what was going on here. These guys knew their Bible, they knew their Old Testament, but they were ignorant and they still had a chance to repent. And this is a call for all of our youth growing up in the church that you know a lot about Jesus, but you can repent. And you can be refreshed. They were ignorant, but, but also there's, there's the deliberate intentional sin. Caiaphas and, and, and the guys and, and Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. And they still offered him over. And so in the Bible, you see, actually, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, there is atonement for sins that are unintentional. But there's no atonement for sins that are done intentionally. But when the, when the gospel message opens up, man, God gives grace to everybody. But sometimes we, we're not completely aware of what we're doing, but it's still wrong because we're ignorant and we can repent. Sometimes we blatantly err and we blatantly sin and it's still wrong, but we can still repent. And that's the beauty of the whole thing. And Peter wants this, this audience to know you can be refreshed. And where does it come from? 
It comes from the Lord. It doesn't, try, it doesn't come from trying to get to church and get yourself happy and sing and get fired up. When you repent and refresh, God grants you that refreshment. And who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? As we continue to study out the book of Acts, we'll see these same themes appear over and over. The name of Jesus is still causing a stir. He's gone from the scene, but his disciples are still carrying on the work. And it's almost mirror image of what Jesus did during his ministry. Peter heals, creates a stir. Eventually, it'll create persecution. But people are hearing the gospel message. The work is still carrying on. And this this passage is a call for all of us to discern the sovereign hand of God. Because surely there are things in your life that you question or that you you wonder about. But God is sovereign. And that's what Peter wanted his audience to know. And it's a call for us to embrace outsiders. God definitely did and does and will continue. Will you embrace outsiders? And we all need ongoing repentance. Whether you don't know what you're doing or you do know what you're doing. The solution is still the same. Repent and be refreshed. This is a call for all of us in Auckland to follow the gospel and Jesus and continue on his work. Amen. Amen.